doing this evening. Good deal. I want to talk to you, before I actually get right into my text, uh, I'll just go ahead and kind of set you up with where we're going, what we're going to talk about. Uh, uh, I want to talk about the concept, unsinkable, and, and just kind of, we'll, we'll revolve around that for a little while, we'll talk about that, and uh, I don't know about you, but how many know with everything the way it's going nowadays, if you watch the news, whether whether you're a teenager or an adult, or whatever, you can go to school and you see that things are crazy, you go to the job and you see that things are crazy, you got stuff maybe even going on at home that looks a little crazy sometimes, amen? And in a world where it looks like everything is shaking around us, everything is, is torn up, everything is messed up, everybody's got trouble, everything's got problems, we need to know there's something we can hold on to that's unsinkable in the midst of trouble, amen? And uh, when you think about the term unsinkable, I, I, you know, I, y'all don't judge me over here in this corner because I ain't been out of school that long. I still like to use that line. I know it's coming down to that time where I can't say it anymore, but it's still true right now because it ain't hardly been five years, so got a little bit more time to use that before I start classifying myself as old. But anyway, so back back when I was still young, you know, like in, in school, anyway, <clears throat> I remember when we talk about unsinkable, th- there was a phrase used of a great ship several years ago called the unsinkable ship. You remember that? You remember studying the ship that sailed the Titanic? It was called the unsinkable ship. Uh, there's actually a quote. You can you can pull this up on Google. I mean, you got internet. You got half of you got your smartphone here. You can do it right now just to make sure I'm telling you the truth. Uh, there there was a guy actually as ladies and men, as men and women were boarding that ship. He actually told one of the passengers, I forget her name, but he looked at her and said, "God Himself could not sink this ship. It's unsinkable." Right now we can debate on whether or not that's why it went down. That's that's fine and dandy, but but that's not where we're going. I'm just saying there was an unsinkable ship built. Let me give you a few facts about it. When this ship was built, the Titanic, it was the largest moving human-made object that had ever been made up until that time. That's big. So it was a big deal. Uh, let, let me give you a little more information about it. So they deemed it unsinkable. The Titanic was completed in 1912. It cost about $7.5 million. Now, in 1912, that was $7.5 million is a lot of money any day of the week. I'll do good to make that much in my whole life. But... Back then, that was some show enough money. That, that was a big chunk of change, right? <clears throat> and, and it was completed in, in a town called Belfast, Ireland. It, it took more than two years for them to build. Now, they didn't have nothing on Noah because, you know, he had 120 years. But still, two years, uh, I believe two workers died during its construction. The ship was 882 feet long. That's four city blocks. That, that's, a, that's long. Okay, anyway, we'll, we'll get off that. But I get kind of amused that they could build stuff like we have trouble building stuff nowadays, and these people without all of our technology did this, so it's kind of cool to me. But anyway, so it's more than four city blocks long, 92 feet high. It weighed an incredible 46,000 tons. Builders of the Titanic uh, actually included some steel doors that was, they were supposed to be able to close within 25 seconds. There's 16 sections that they laid out in the ship. And those doors were supposed to be able to seal with a hydraulic press so that water couldn't leak and the, the ship couldn't sink. See how well that worked out. But anyhow, in theory, they had something going right there. Just didn't, have, didn't apply that well. Anyway, so that's a little bit about this ship. It, it was thought to be unsinkable. And I believe somewhere around 2,500, and I don't have it written down, I think it was 2,547 or something like that, people got on this ship 
and they had put their trust in this thing, they, they decided this ship was unsinkable. I still ain't been on a cruise because I'm not sure that I trust anything to be unsinkable. I'm fine with swimming. You can look at me, I'd float okay, but I don't want to be in the middle of the ocean. Okay, sharks start taking hunks out of me, I may not float as well. So anyhow, I, that's, but that's just that's neither here nor there. These folks decided this ship is unsinkable. It's not going down. There's no way that there's anything going to happen here. So let's get on this ship that doesn't have near enough lifeboats to get all of us off of here. If something goes wrong, let's, uh, let's ignore that fact. Let's just get on this boat and go. It was said that it was the only thing unsinkable at that time. I already told you that a man said even God couldn't sink it. Well, it sunk. Reason being... There's only one thing unsinkable in this life, and it's not a part of this life other than you and I choose to make it a part of our life. And that is our faith. Amen? There is one thing, there is one object, there is one source, one person, one idea, one truth that is unsinkable. All else that comes up is capable of sinking. Everything else that you will find in your life, whether, whether you're 12 or, or 25 or 35 or 105, Everything else that you will come across in your life, no matter if they tell you it can't sink, it can't break, it can't mess up, it can't let you down, it can't fail you, it's a lie. It can. It may not. You may have, you know, it may go, but everything is capable of failing except one thing. There is only one unsinkable ship, and that is the ship of our faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to look at a couple of scriptures real quick. Uh, We're going to look at Matthew chapter 8 to start out with. Verse 23 is where we'll start. And uh, this is a story that we're going to look at. It's familiar. Everybody knows it. They can quote it and quote pieces of it without even knowing where it's from because it's that familiar. It's found in all three of the synoptic gospels, you know, synoptic meaning they give a synopsis, general analysis. So anyway, it's in all the different gospels. We'll hit at least two of them. We may hit the third one just for fun to say we covered all of them. Who knows? But anyway, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. The Bible says this, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep, and his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. In other words, we're about to die. They were screaming help. They didn't know what else to do. His disciples came to him, saying, Lord, we save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith, and he arose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Turn over with me to Mark 4 real quick. We'll read both accounts of this. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark 4, verse 35. The Bible says this. Mark gives us just a couple more things about it that we didn't get in the other. It says this, And the same day when even was come, or when evening had come, he said to his disciples, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they, when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said unto him, Master, do you not care that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said unto them, or to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it? that you have no faith. Now, the reason we went to Mark, because Mark gives us a detail that that Matthew didn't necessarily give us. This whole thing was Jesus' idea. This journey was the plan 
that Jesus had for his life because we're not going to get there, so we'll just give it to you now. Later in the story in Mark chapter 4, it's actually in 5 when they get there, there's a man that's demon-possessed waiting on the other side, and Jesus decided it was worth his while to sail all the way across this sea and go over there so he could meet that one man and destroy the plan of the enemy over his life. So it's Jesus' idea that they get in this boat and head across the sea And everybody says, well, why would they do that? Why would they sell? They didn't know that it was going to be bad like that. You've heard it said before, if if you've been around churchy talking folks much, you know that that storm came up on this sea quite often. It it was a very common thing. It was not anything rare or unusual that you would start out on a voyage and before you could even make it to the other side, a great storm would rise up that would cause you much trouble. That wasn't uncommon, so this was something these men should be used to. They should have been used to the trouble that's going on. So they're listening to Jesus, and Jesus' plan for their lives and for his life leads them into the middle of trouble. Has anybody ever been there? You felt like you're doing what God tells you to do. You're trying to do right. You're you're trying to live right, whether you're at school, you're going to your job, you're with family, whatever. You're trying to do things right. To the best of your ability, you want to live the way God calls you to live. And following him like that leads you into a place you did not expect to end up. It leads you into a place of trouble. Now, this is the deal. Jesus commands them to launch out on this journey. And when we choose to follow Jesus, he commands us, he calls us to launch out. He tells us where we're going to land. But the problem is many times he doesn't tell us about all of the life that's going to catch us in between the launch and the landing. Amen? Anybody ever had life just hit you upside the face? It ain't even friendly. It don't kick you in a shin. It it just smacks you in the face. Kind of like this slap game you guys got going over here. Y'all just keep that to yourselves. But anyway, it, it, it just catches you off guard. Nothing, nothing is really going wrong. Everything's fine. I, I don't know if you've been in those days, but I, I've been in days where everything was fine on Monday and come Wednesday, I didn't even know how to pray because I didn't know how to deal with everything that it hit. Sometimes I was doing good on Monday, and by Tuesday I didn't know what to pray for because it had gotten so bad. There are days when trouble hits you like that and you don't know what else to do about it. It, it just It's there. You've got to figure out what to do. And kind of like we talked about last week, the problem is that we're trying to figure out what to do in and of ourselves rather than figuring out that the solution is to give it to the Lord. That doesn't mean we're lazy. That doesn't mean we don't work to pay our bills. That doesn't mean we don't strive to be pleasant with our family, our spouses. Who, but we give it to the Lord and let Him handle out the particulars of what takes place. Amen? So sometimes between our launch and our landing, we run into situations that I would deem less than ideal. I would say they're not exactly the type of things we want to run into. I don't know about you, but there have been some bad days. Amen? There have been some days that that I wouldn't have chosen, I wouldn't have wished on my enemies, but they happen. They happen and we deal with them. Much like Jesus' disciples in the passages we read are on uh, on a voyage, they're going out, they're doing what Jesus calls them to do, They're going the right way. They're living the way they're supposed to. They're following his lead, and then trouble hits. They get into a storm. And then real quick, let let me just give you some characteristics about storms, some things about this. first thing you need to know about a storm is storms are unrelenting. Storms don't have any prejudice about anybody. They just hit. 
And, and the thing about a storm being unrelenting is this. You notice the storm showed no sign of calming until Jesus forced it to. The woman with the issue of blood showed no sign of getting better until Jesus intervened. The man laying by the pool of Bethesda had no hope for getting his, his walking abilities back until Jesus came out and gave them. Right? Storms are relentless. They don't let us go just because we get tired. Storms don't back off of you just because you cried. Storms don't back off just because it hurts your feelings that they said that. Storms don't back off just because this or that's going on. Your enemy, the adversary... The devil has no sympathy for you or your soul. And he's not concerned about how upset it gets you. That's the goal. That's the plan. The storms are unrelenting. It is not anything we can do in and of ourselves that will make them go away. It's certainly not an act of compassion on the side of the enemy to make them go, go away. Storms go away because we call on Jesus. And I'm not saying that he did. You notice the disciples had to keep on sailing, right? Like, it didn't poof them to the other side. Once the storm was dealt with, they kept on sailing. Anyway, we, can, we could look all through the Bible. I, I think somebody who'd give us a very good idea of an unrelenting storm would be Job. Job's life got real bad real quick and stayed real bad real long. He, he lost his children. He lost everything that he had. If you can read the story, actually, if you start in Job chapter 1, when the, when the enemy comes to the Lord, it says that the Lord's meeting with the sons of God, and all of a sudden the enemy shows up and he starts talking to him about Job. And Job is, is brought up in conversation, and as Job is brought up, he says, I know that I could get Job to get rid of you and to back off and quit loving you if you'll let me touch him, if, if you'll let me... Go after him. If you'll let me cause him some trouble, because the only reason he loves you is because everything goes well. And if you'll let me make things not go so well, he'll let go of you. And Job starts getting report after report after report after report. The first report, I believe, is that all of his sheep are gone, and then his oxen are gone, and then his camels are gone, and then his fields are burned over, and then his servants are killed. And then the last one, the most devastating one, it says that a whirlwind comes along and it actually knocks flat the four walls of the house his children are staying in and all ten of his kids die instantly. And we don't know the exact time span, but the way that it lays it out for us is that one event after another, after another, after another, after another begin to hit Job. And they pile up on him, and they come after him one by one. They keep on coming. They won't stop coming. Things continue to get worse. And even after the initial tragedy hits, we begin to see that things happen in his body. His wife begins to nag him. It's constantly one thing after another for this man. The storm is unrelenting. The storm doesn't back off. The storm shows no mercy. Another trait of storms that we need to understand because these disciples were learning a lesson here whether or not they realized it. Firstly, storms are unrelenting. Secondly, storms are unavoidable. Now, I don't know if everybody has learned this lesson yet or not, but I, I would believe I'm talking to three people right now. You've either been through a storm, you're currently in a storm, or you better get ready because you're about to go through a storm. Storms are a part of the journey with Jesus. And this is the trouble with the modern uh, theology, the modern doctrine that we're taught, is that as long as you love the Lord, you never deal with a storm. Now, I would combat that. We'll come back to this. And I would combat that firstly by saying, look who was in the boat. Jesus was in the boat. It was not against the will of God as long as God was in the boat. 
right? You You understand? Going through a storm doesn't make me any less spiritual. Going through a storm, going through a bad day, having a trouble, doesn't mean that I love Jesus any less than my brother who's not going through something. Doesn't mean that I'm any more hard-headed and God's got to teach me more, that God's got to break me down worse than everybody else that's around me because I'm just stupid and can't get it. It's not the case. Storms happen to everyone. Storms are unavoidable. Now, you will hear the, the modern, like I said, the modern, the televangelist favorite message would be that if you'll, you know, sow forty nine ninety five into his ministry and he can send you your miracle blessing water, you won't have a problem. Look, if I had a dollar for every one of them that's got an infomercial out there, I'd be all right for next week. Be eating good. Because it's, it's, it's the mindset that we have is that because we have God, we have this shield over us. That nothing goes wrong. Nothing bad happens. Everything is always perfect. And I, I don't understand where we get that in Scripture because I remember a verse that talks about how it rains even on the just and the unjust. Correct? The difference is who's with me during the storm. That's what makes the difference. Some of, some of us are kind of like Jonah. You know, we're going through the storm and we're going through bad stuff. You remember, let, let's think about it from a, a different perspective than we look at a lot of times. When Jonah gets on the boat, he decides he's running from God. He's going as far from God as he can get. He goes down to Joppa so that he can get on a ship. He's wanting to sail to Tarshish. He comes to these sailors. And he says, look, I, I want to go to Tarshish. Let me get on your boat. He gets on the boat with these guys. And these guys, because they let the wrong person ride on the journey with them, end up in the storm of their life. And the answer was to get him off the boat. Sometimes we get wrong people, wrong things on our life. That's just simple little side note. Sometimes we get wrong people and wrong things with us. We need to kick them out the boat. Okay? Young people. You can go ahead and listen extra close on that. If you want to date them and they don't come to church, if they won't listen to Pastor Brown while you're over at the remix, you need to get rid of that one. Throw them off the boat. Tell them it's sink or swim. I don't really care, but you're off my boat. Bye. If Sister Karen was here, I'd say bye, Felicia, but, you know, because that's her little thing. But I, ain't, I don't know what it means, so I ain't saying it. Anyway. <laughs> what the problem is, is we go through these storms and it doesn't mean that because I love the Lord, it doesn't mean that because I, I'm good with, with him and I'm studying his word and I'm praying and all these things, that does not exclude me from the trouble of life. Between my launch and my landing, somewhere I'll deal with some life. The problem is that I have someone walking alongside me through my life that helps me in the middle of that. That's what makes all the difference. That's why our faith is unsinkable, because it is in somebody who can't be sunk. And we keep that life preserver that is Jesus with us everywhere we go. Now, I'm not presenting to you a theology that says that the Christian life is one bad day to the next, and we just hold on to our hope until glory. You will hear, you, I ain't been here long enough to make y'all mad with that. Never mind. Now, look, you asked for it. I heard about 12 of y'all say, y'all remember, now, I love, love, I got like two in my house because I like the songs. You remember in the Redback Hymnal, anytime we go to sing those songs, what were they about? I call them escape songs. I'll fly away. Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? We'll soon be done with troubles and trials. Everybody will be happy over there. Soon and very soon we're getting out of here, right? 
Again, I love those songs. Don't get mad at me. Don't start throwing hymn books at me yet. I love them. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there's a theology out there that sometimes we'll get prayed. If we choose to focus on the storm, then our mindset becomes, geez, I'm living in storms all the time. Here, let me focus only on going to heaven. That's not the, that's not the idea. That's not what we're preaching. What we're saying is instead of focusing on the storm and saying, wow, I've got to get out of here. I've got to hold on to this life preserver of Jesus till I get through this storm and get home. That's not it. My focus doesn't get to be on my storm, which then causes me to lose track of my right now. My focus stays on Jesus, which keeps me centered on the fact that in the middle of trouble, he still has a purpose. What was the purpose of sailing across this sea? There was a lost soul that was going to be reached because they went through the trouble of making this journey. And in our Christian walk, if I focus on my storm to the point that I sing, let me get out of here, I forget that they're going to be stuck left here. That's the problem with thinking that way. We've got to make sure that our mind stays on our, our purpose, on the harvest, amen? And understand that the storm doesn't mean that you're less than. <clears throat> the storm doesn't mean you're not as good as somebody. The storm is unavoidable. The storm will come. What about Daniel? Daniel was a man who bathed his life in prayer. And when I say bathed his life in prayer, I don't mean that for two or three minutes before he got up and was getting ready for work, he prayed. What I'm telling you is that Daniel bathed his life. Three hours a day, in the morning, in the noon, and in the evening, he would pray for an hour a day just so he could make sure and have his set-apart time with the Lord. And in doing that, in Daniel covering his life with prayer, he made sure that he was covered from the attack of the enemy and he was filled with faith so that he could stand before a king and say, I don't care if you've got to throw me in the lion's den, the Lord will protect me. Amen? What about Paul in Acts 28, I believe it is, or 27, where he's on his ship. He's voyaging. He, he's, he's actually handcuffed. He's not in the best of voyages. He, he's not on a, a Caribbean cruise by any means. But he's still sailing on this ship. He's going to Rome to be tried. And on this ship, the Lord speaks to him, wakes him up, and tells him, there's going to be a problem. You're about to encounter a storm. You're about to have trouble, and you need to warn the people sailing with you. There's about to be trouble, but nobody's going to lose their life. You hold on, and I will protect you. He tells me, he says, if everybody will stay in the ship, no one will lose their life. Paul, I, I would venture to say Paul's probably the greatest Christian that's ever been. you got to remember this is the same guy that went from killing Christians being a murderer to now he writes over half of the New Testament. He lays hands on blind people, on deaf people, on dead people, and they are made whole. He's the same one that his sweat rags would be sent off and they would heal people. I ain't done that yet. That's pretty cool, but I ain't done it yet. When you do it, let me know. This is Paul. This man encountered a storm. I would think if anybody were exempt from storms such as beatings and prisons and shipwrecks, it should be the man that wrote half of the New Testament of the book. He wasn't. He wasn't exempt from trouble because storms are unavoidable. They show no prejudice. prejudice. So storms are unrelenting. 
Storms are unavoidable. And thirdly, we find out storms are unpredictable. Storms are unpredictable because had these men known what was going on, they'd have never ventured out to sail that way. Had these men known what was happening, they'd have never left because they knew a storm was coming. Y'all know how we do it. Most of you men, I guarantee, my dad, I promise you, he watches the weather more than anybody I've ever met. My dad watches the weather at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. Whenever he gets up, he's going to find a weather channel that is on. And then he's going to be listening to the weather while he's driving that truck. And if he happens to be home on his off day at noon, he's going to watch the weather and the news. And then if he gets in before 5, he's going to watch the weather and the news. And if he's in before 6, he's going to watch the weather and the news again. Sometimes back to back, he'll go 5, 6, 9, 10. He don't care. He don't care. It's his TV. He's going to watch what he wants to. I've seen him go 5, 6, 9, 10 with the weather and the news. I don't understand. Nothing changes that quick. The big pattern in the sky is not moving 9,000 miles an hour. You know what I'm saying? He don't care. He's going to watch it. And we will base our life around what that goofy little man in the bow tie with the funny hairdo tells us it's going to do 10 days from now, and he ain't got a clue. His, his guess is good as mine. I could predict a forecast. Oh, well, it's sunny today. You know what? I bet I could tell him it's going to be 75 raining. If it doesn't rain, they'll be okay. So we'll call it 60% chance. Like you just, they don't know. I understand they studied the patterns. You get, we get all that, but still. Like we watch it and we hope that we're going to know what's going on and we will plan our life based on that. Based on whether or not that little man on the TV says it's going to rain or not, we'll decide if we're going to go barbecue, if we're going to go hunting, or if we're going to stay in, if we're going to go to the mall, if we're going to go eat or not. We'll base it around this because we like to know what's coming. We watch the weather and all this different stuff. We want to, we want to look for the big green blob. And as long as the big green blob or a little green blob is nowhere around us, we think that it's okay to go out and do what we want to do. But if ever we see the green blob moving toward our area, we decide not to do anything, right? Now, mind you, there's a soul on the other side of this sea that has to be saved. Had these men known that the big green blob was there, they would have stayed and they might have missed the opportunity to reach the soul that had to be saved. There's a reason storms are unpredictable, because if the Lord told us everything we were going to deal with, I'd stay in and hide. There, there are some days that I would be wanting to say, Lord, I, what did I do to make you mad at me today? Because it looks like everything's going wrong. Y'all ain't been there? Okay, that's more like it. Half of y'all looked at me like deer in the headlights for a minute, then when I asked you, yeah, yeah, that's true, we've been there. <laughs> that's true. You're right. Anyway. Storms are unrelenting, storms are unavoidable, storms are unpredictable. We don't get, there's no spiritual radar that gives us a sense of when a storm's coming, amen? I, I know we're not like throw down camp meeting preaching, but just hang with me. We'll get there in just a second. Storms are unpredictable. We don't know when they're coming. There's no radar that tells us that they're on the way. There's nothing like that. Because if we thought that we could get out of the storm because we could just outweigh it, or if we thought that we could go around the storm, or if we thought we could outweigh the storm and go another day when it wasn't going to be storming, we'd try to do that. So that's why the storm is allowed to be unrelenting, unavoidable, and unpredictable. And here, let's look at a couple more things about this storm in Matthew 8 where we were at. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just go ahead and refer to it. In the Scripture, 
we see that in Mark chapter 4, he calls it a great wind and a great storm in the sea. <clears throat> but in Matthew chapter 8, as we're reading, what you'll find is the Bible actually says that, and behold, there was a great tempest that arose. Now, I'm not a Greek and Hebrew scholar. I've just got a strong concordance app on my telephone that I can look this stuff up with, which means you can too, if you don't trust what I'm telling you. The Greek word for tempest right there is kind of funny if you go look it up, because I always thought that meant winds and waves and rain. But if you look up the word tempest, what it actually is in the Greek is the Greek word seismos. It's the derivative of where we get our English words such as seismograph. You know what a seismograph is, right? It measures earthquakes. So why on earth, if this were winds and waves and rain, did he call it the same word for earthquake? It's a device, like I said, that this, this, anyway, it would appear, based on what we can study out, and this isn't some crazy new thing. You can go look up a lot of theologians, a lot of scholars. They'll tell you this is what they believe it to have been because of the wording that is used here. Every other time this word, seismos, is used in the Bible, in that Greek language, it means earthquake. In Matthew 24 and 28, it's seismos. In other scriptures in the, in the New Testament where it's talking about this, it's this same word that right here, they didn't know exactly what to call it, so they translated it as tempest. But what most people would tell you is probably going on is actually like a small tsunami in the middle of this sea. Because this, this region, you can go and study Again, I'm not making up facts. I wouldn't do that to you. The nation of Israel, that area where they are at, you can study it out. It's actually quite common to have earthquakes over there. It had become somewhat of a common thing. And so what is probably going on is beneath the surface of the sea, those plates begin to crash together. And we've seen it in Haiti and in Thailand and places like that, what tsunamis do. As the earth begins to pound together, it creates great whip, ripples out there. And then all of a sudden, those ripples in the sea become great waves and they crash over the land. And they believe that's probably what was going on on this sea right here, is that that earthquake was generating something similar to a tsunami in the middle of this sea. So these men are well acquainted with storms. It wasn't anything strange. That's why it never made sense why they would get so worked up about this. The reason they got worked up is because this is not a storm like what they've dealt with before. This is something far greater than what they've ever known. And it had gotten so bad that waves began to crash over the ship and waves began to destroy the boat nearly. And, and this earthquake is what we assume it must have been. It's causing all of this mess, all this trouble for them. So as the ground's clapping together, there's a violent earthquake. It causes the water to come up and it looks as if they're going to die. They find themselves in an unrelenting, unavoidable, unpredictable storm, and they ended up here all because they listened to the command of Jesus, who is now sleeping at the back of the boat. Now, after I got through being scared and squealing like a girl because I was about to die, I'd want to know, look, why did you send us out here? Nobody else want to ask that question? Why did you send us into a place where it looks like we're going to die? Lord, I don't understand. You're the one who told me to do this. I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to serve you. And now I end up in a spot where it looks like I'm going to die. 
It looks like this storm is so much it will destroy me. I don't get why you would have sent me here. And there are times in our lives we walk through those places where it appears that 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 storm, it's unrelenting, it was unavoidable, we couldn't get around it, we didn't know it was coming, and yet it shows up and here we are in the storm of our lives, don't know what to do, and Jesus is sleeping. Not acting even as if he cares that we're in the middle of the storm. But this is the thing. Jesus sleeping does not mean that he doesn't care that we're in the middle of the storm. It means Jesus is aware of a truth that these men didn't understand. The truth is that though the storm be unrelenting, unavoidable, and unpredictable, your faith is unsinkable. And even though trouble has shown up, and even though it's trouble that won't quit, and it's trouble that I can't get around, and it's trouble that I didn't know was coming to me, my faith remains unsinkable, not because I believe it, but because my faith is anchored in one that is Jesus. You remember that old song, I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest, I'll sail these wild seas no more, and all I'll be safe evermore is kind of the catch line at the end of that. And what it's saying is as long as I've got my hope properly anchored, I'm not going under. The waves cannot control me. The waves don't destroy me. It doesn't matter how the storm looks. The truth is our faith is unsinkable as long as it's rooted in Christ. Amen? As long as my faith is rooted in Him. it's not going to be destroyed. Their fear was the boat's filling up with waves, water's overtaking us. We don't know what else to do. We've done all that we know to do to keep this boat afloat. So now it's time to wake up Jesus. Now, Now it's time to go and get Jesus And Jesus, we know from John chapter 1, Jesus is what? The Word. Amen? The incarnate Word of God, that's that's what he would be. So if Jesus is the Word, and I'm on a boat or I'm on a vessel, and my vessel is symbolic of my life and my faith and my my calling and everything I'm doing with him, I think the point would be that as long as my vessel is filled with the Word, it can't be overcome by the waves. As long as I've got him in the boat with me, it doesn't matter how bad it gets out there. Because this is the fact. If I will keep myself, if I will keep my life, if I will keep my heart full of his word, the waves don't have room to get in. Why? Because they are opposing forces. The waves would speak death. The wave would speak negativity. The wave would speak that, look, that you ain't never going to get out of this. You're doomed. But the word would speak that he's my provider. The word would speak that he's my help. The word would speak in Psalms 46 that God is our refuge, a very present help in the time of trouble. That's the word. So the word and the wave are conflicting. And as long as I keep myself full of the word, there's no place for the wave to get in. And in a world where everything around us appears to be shaking and appears to be messed up and appears to be going nuts... I choose to fill myself with a word and fill myself with the faith that he is all I need, that he's my source, he is sufficient for me. And as I do that and as I anchor in Jesus, as I anchor in him, there is no wave that can overturn this ship. 
There is no storm that can stop me from doing what he's called me to do. It may be some unpleasant days along the journey. But your faith is unsinkable. The only way that you are capable of being sunk is to do like those people we talked about in the beginning with the Titanic. You place your faith in things that claim to be unsinkable. But I've got bad news. Economies are sinkable. Money is sinkable. Relationships are sinkable. Friends are sinkable. Family is sinkable. Anything in this life that guarantees you it can't be sunk just lied to you unless that thing is Jesus. <clears throat> so the boat's not overtaken. They don't lose their life. Why? Michelle, can you just go ahead and start to play something? The rest of the band, you can come up to if you want to. Um, the boat's not overtaken. They don't lose their lives. Everything is made okay because they woke up Jesus. Now, this is what gets me. Uh, I, I mentioned my dad earlier. My dad is also, if, if you didn't know him very well, you didn't know this, but when he was about my age, he was in the Navy. And he was a country boy from the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. He had never been to the ocean, never been around the ocean. So for about the first three weeks he was out, he slept about 30 minutes a night. But he said that there was something that came along, and, and after about that third week, just exhaustion set in. And there would literally, in the middle of these storms, because you, if you've seen them aircraft carriers, they're not going anywhere. They're not budging. This aircraft carrier is sailing through, and waves could begin to actually sweep over the boat to the point that they would, you know, it would make everything unsteady. You could feel the way there were men swept overboard, all kind of stuff. Because these waves could get as tall as that carrier and they would pound against the ship, and they would make all this noise and all this racket. And as he got accustomed to being able to sleep through those type of storms, you could drive a freight train through the back of their house, and he wouldn't wake up. <clears throat> because once you get to where you can sleep and find rest in the middle of a storm like that, nothing's going to wake you up. So what is it saying about Jesus that... He is capable of sleeping through this storm. It tells me that it says he's got peace. He's not afraid. He's not worried about his life. <clears throat> you can't convince me that, that in a first century fishing boat, he didn't hear the waves. You can't convince me that he didn't hear the wind howling. He didn't hear the thunder cracking. He, he didn't feel all the rocking back and forth. Jesus would have been well aware of that storm. But he was able to lay down and sleep in that storm because something inside of him was unsinkable. Something inside him, he, he was so rooted into what God had for him and who he was called to be and what he was called to do that nothing could shake him. It did not matter how bad the storm around him sounded. It didn't matter that it looked as if it were imminent doom. He was okay. And he was at rest in the middle of the storm. The interesting fact about that is winds, waves, thunder, all this stuff is crashing everywhere and Jesus doesn't wake up. How in the world, if in the middle of all, how did he hear a couple of guys screaming? He, he wasn't waking up because of, of what would have been near on a tsunami coming over their ship. That didn't get him stirred up. That did not wake Jesus up. That didn't, that didn't rile him any. But you let his disciples call out. 
instantly, he's up. Why? Because storms don't cause him to lose sleep. Storms don't cause him unrest. Storms cannot take the peace that he has. And you remember he said, and I believe it's John 14 or 15, my peace I give to you. Storms don't disturb the peace that Jesus was walking in because the peace that he had was a peace that came from knowing who he was, what he was called to do, and that nothing could sink him until he got to do what he was called to. Nothing could stop him. The only thing that woke up Jesus was when his children started crying for him. That's why the Word declares in what is Hebrews 4.15, I believe, that we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We have somebody who knows what hurts us. He's listening when we call. He hears us and he is aware when we pray. His ear is not so far removed that he doesn't hear me when I'm hurt. That he can't hear me when I'm in the middle of a storm and I crowd, Help! Because it looks like this is getting bad, Jesus. It looks like this is going to destroy me. In the middle of my storm, even though he's not riled up by that, even though he's not disturbed by the trouble I'm dealing with, he gets up when I start calling for him. He gets up when you begin to call on him. His ears perk up a little bit. when he, that's, one, that's one of my children calling. Thunder doesn't bother him. Storms don't, don't mess him up. Rain's not going to scare him. Lightning can be flashing all around. That, that's not going to cause him to lose sleep. What gets him is when you start calling out and say, Lord, I need your help. I, I need your help. I, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to handle this. This storm is unrelenting. This storm, I, I didn't have any way to get around it, God. I, I didn't know this was coming. I, I, I would have prepared better. I would have done things differently. I would have acted differently. If I knew that this was going to hit me, I, w I would have done something about it. But, Lord, now I'm in a mess. Now I'm here. Now I'm in this trouble, and I don't know how to get out. And I need you. That's what wakes him up. That's what I understand that he's the God that never sleeps or slumbers. That We get that. But what I'm saying is the thing that causes Jesus to take notice is not how bad your storm gets. If you're waiting on God to move just because it's bad and you've cried and you've gotten upset, that's not what motivates him. That's not what moves him to change things. Storms are unrelenting. And storms don't stop until Jesus gets in the middle of them. And the way that Jesus gets in the middle of it and speaks peace be still is when his children say, I need you. I need you. Can we, can we just stand real quick just all over the...